Good morning. Well, the last couple of weeks, there's a couple, Edgar and Mildred Gator, they sit right there. They're right there. They haven't been here. Mildred's had some health problems. But I'm glad you're back, glad you're with us, and just wanted to point out that last, this last week they celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary. <laughs> Pretty amazing, huh? By God's grace, right? Yeah. Whatever she says, right, Edgar? Got it. Praise the Lord for that. Well, this morning we are continuing our study through the book of John, 1 John, actually. 1 John. We'll be in chapter 1, looking at verses 5 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, open up one of those blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you. Turn to page 1021, 1021, that'll bring you right to that section of God's Word. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go online or on the table, you can find last week's sermon as we introduce this book there in an audio format that you can download or listen to on your iPod or on your computer. And I said that we would be looking at 1 John and... 1 John would help us understand what it really means to be a Christian. What it really means to be a Christian. Let me just introduce our text this way. How does an unsaved person, a person who's not a believer, a person who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, continue to attend church week after week and month after month and yet remain unsaved and unchanged and feel okay with that and be comfortable. Well, in some cases, the person is just simply self-deceived. They are self-deceived. They think they are a Christian despite the fact that there is no biblical evidence for it in their lives. By that I mean, and I heard this one time and I had to really think when I heard it, Someone said, if you were charged, someone brought charges against you of being a Christian, and you were put into a court of law, and all the evidence was presented, how would the jury find? Innocent? Or guilty as charged? That made me really think about my own life. If someone would examine my life closely, not just on Sunday morning, But closely, Monday through Saturday, morning and evening, at work and at home, in public and in private, would they find enough evidence to convict me of being a Christian? In other cases, the church that these people attend where they these people being those who are unsaved but continue to be unsaved and unchanged, is preaching such a watered-down message that they are never confronted with what being a Christian really is and what it is really not. As a result, they have not been challenged to examine their lives 
in light of what the Scriptures clearly say. Some churches, beloved, and maybe you've experienced some of these churches, sadly have become places where you basically go to get a good pep talk or a motivational speech or to have your self-esteem boosted. You know, you're wonderful. All of you are so wonderful. Now, go out of this place and be wonderful. Okay. Beyond that, there are churches that appear to avoid anything that might be offensive, difficult, or especially challenging for the people to hear. And in some cases, the gospel message, that message of salvation in Christ Jesus, has been reduced to nothing more than this. Jesus died for you. Now repeat the sinner's prayer. And oh, by the way, now you can be assured that you're saved. Don't ever question it. That's it. But just because someone prays to receive Jesus, does that necessarily mean, without a doubt, that they are saved? Don't answer that. I just want you to think about that. Just because they they repeat some prayer that they heard the pastor make, or they saw on television, or whatever... Does that necessarily mean they are truly saved? Let me ask it this way. If nothing changes in a person's life after theoretically becoming a Christian through some quick prayer, and by that I mean they, that nothing changes, I mean they don't submit themselves to God's Word. They don't renounce sin in their lives. They don't really live for Christ. That's what I mean by they don't change. Should they not expect anything is wrong, but just go on with their lives believing they are saved and calling themselves Christians because they believe in Jesus and said some prayer? No, beloved. Meanwhile, the lost world, they look on and they don't see much difference between many professing Christians, those who claim they are Christians, and non-Christians. They don't see much difference. (laughs) And they wonder, what is the point of Christianity? Why should I become a Christian? These Christian people aren't that different other than the fact that they attend church on Sunday morning sometimes. Of course, more confusion is added to this whole issue with the Christian prosperity teachers. You know how much I love them who have their own spin on what it means to be a Christian. And unfortunately, their message appeals to Way too many. Way too many. They will tell you that being a Christian is, is really all about having your best life now. Meaning having wealth and health and all of your dreams coming true. In fact, God really exists just to make you happy. Happy. 
So they go on and say, just keep giving me money. They don't usually say it that way. They say, give it to the ministry. Just keep giving me money and I promise you'll become rich and prosperous just like me. Yeah, go and get your own church, become a prosperity teacher, convince everybody to give you money and you'll become rich too. That's how it works. What a messed up world we live in, beloved. What a messed up world. But in the midst of all of this darkness, the Word of God, it shines. It shines through all this nonsense and misinformation that we are continually fed and it gets right to the heart of the matter. Here is the truth according to the Apostle John, the official messenger of Jesus Christ as we talked about last week. Here it is. Christians, Christians, beloved, true Christians, walk in the light. Period. Let's look at our text together now. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. There the Apostle John records these words. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Mm. This morning, beloved, as you look inside of your bulletins, you can follow along. There is an outline. We are going to consider the foundation for and the facts about walking in the light so that we might be challenged by thinking rightly about what it truly means to be a Christian. Let's begin with the first point here, the foundation for walking in the light. What is the foundation for walking in the light? Well, it is God is light. God is light. Not LED light, LED light, not influorescent light, not that kind of light. We'll talk about that in a moment, but look back at the text, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message, John says. We have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. What is the message, John? God is light. And just so you're very clear, and in Him is no darkness at all. The message that the Apostle John heard from him, and we discover that the Him is Jesus Christ, as we looked at verses 1 through 3, this message that John received from Jesus and wrote down for his readers and has been preserved that we might read it today, included the significant truth, this significant truth, about the very nature of God. What is that truth? God is light. And we will discover that knowing that fact about God is foundational to understanding some of the things that John will write about as we look further into 1 John. We need to know 
God is light. In the Scriptures, beloved, light is used in an intellectual sense to symbolize divine truth. Okay? To symbolize divine truth. So it's used in an intellectual sense to symbolize divine truth. Darkness then, as in contrast to light, would represent error or falsehood or the opposite of what is true or anything that contradicts or stands in opposition to God's truth, His revelation, His Word. Additionally, the concept of light and darkness in the Bible is also used in a moral sense. So it's used in an intellectual sense. It's also used in a moral sense. And it's used to contrast righteousness, light, with sin or evil, darkness. Darkness. Let me show you just a few passages. You can just watch up here on the screen. Psalm 119.105. The psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is God's truth, His Word that lightens the way. You ever walk into a room, a dark room, and try to make your way around and you're stumbling and falling over yourself and trying to find the light switch, right? Why do you look for the light switch? The light removes the darkness and allows you to navigate through the room without fumbling and falling down and getting hurt. God's light does the same thing. It reveals a light in my path that I might walk the way I ought to walk. Psalm 119, 130, it says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. In regard to light and darkness being a reference to righteousness and evil, we see from the prophet Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, these words, Woe to those who call evil good. Woe to those who say homosexuality is okay. As an example. Okay? Woe to those who say adultery is okay. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness. You know, it's interesting. I want you to turn there and look at this passage with me. Last week, Wes got up here. He read Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. A beautiful section there. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. I just want to read verses 3 through 9 that follow that section this morning with you in regard to this topic. It's on page 978 if you're in those blue church Bibles. Or you can just flip back to the left. Or you can start at Matthew and work your way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, there it is, there it is. Alright, Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to look at verses 3 through 9 with me. Listen to what the Word of God says. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Who's he talking to? Christians. Listen, this is standard protocol for the world. It's named among them all the time. But for the Christian, it must be different. 
It must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking at the workplace. doesn't say that, but that's where it happens very often. Which are out of place. It's out of place for the Christian. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this. You don't have to doubt it. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's what it says, beloved. Just read what it says. This isn't hard to understand. There's not 50 different interpretations here. This is simple. This is clear. Verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, as Tim was saying this morning, you were darkness. You were in the pit. You were unredeemed. You were lost. You were under the wrath of God. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as what you are. For the fruit of light, you want to know what it looks like? It's found in all that is good and right and true. Ephesians 5. When we put both of these biblical concepts together regarding the word light, that is the intellectual and moral concept, we see that saying God is light and that in Him there is no darkness at all communicates the reality that God is perfectly true and morally pure. He is perfectly true and morally pure. Pure. To say it even more simply, God is truth and righteousness. To say it even more simply, God is light. God is light. By the way, just a side note, keep this in the back of your mind. As light then, it is God who exposes intellectual error and moral sin. It is God who does that. What is right and what is wrong should never be left to corrupted sinners, us, to define or determine. But it has been defined by God who is light, who is pure and uncorrupted intellectually and morally. Just keep that in the back of your mind, beloved, because the world wants to attempt to define what is right and what is wrong, what is true, and what is false. But only God, who is truth and righteousness, has the right and the ability to define such things. And He has in His Word. Now, this is where it gets really interesting for us. God is light. Yippee! But the foundations for Christians walking in the light is that God is light because the next truth is true Christians have fellowship with that very God. 
They have fellowship with the God, the only God, who is light. I say true Christians because I said in my introduction, people may claim to be Christians, and they do all the time, as we will also see in verse 6 of this text as we look at it here in a moment. But their lives prove the opposite of what they claim with their mouths. In reality, they do not have fellowship with God. But we know that true Christians have fellowship with God from what was already stated in verse 3 that we looked at last week of 1 John 1.3 where John says, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. And he goes on to talk about in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now hear me, beloved. Through the redemptive work of God's Son, Jesus, or through, yes, through the redemptive work of God's Son, Jesus Christ, Christians, Christians, those who trust in or rely upon Christ as their Savior and their Lord are brought into fellowship with God the Father. Do you understand that? We are brought into fellowship with God the Father, and as a result, they must and will walk in the light. They must and they will. Walk. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean just walk. In this context, walk is a term used to describe a person's daily conduct of life. Their daily conduct of life. Their way of living. Their way of living. So, Christians, in what they think and in what they do, and even in what they feel, in how they live, are to conduct themselves in the light, in divine truth and righteousness. Why? Because they have been partnered with, have fellowship with, are in relationship with God who is truth and righteousness, and in Him there is no darkness at all. John picks up on this idea again and expands upon it as we see in a couple of chapters. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. He says there, now listen to this. This statement would not sit well in some churches which is sad to me. He says there, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. You see what it says? Why? For God's seed abides in Him. And He cannot, cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because He has been born of God. Now, we will look at this text. That might raise some questions in your mind. And Good. Good it should. We'll look at this text in detail in the future. For now, I just want you to see that the Christian life, okay? The Christian life, the true Christian, must and will look different in certain ways. Certainly, morally, morally, 
than the unbeliever's life as a result of having fellowship with God. Being in relationship with God who is light. It must look different. It has to look different. To say or think otherwise, or to teach otherwise, is not only unhelpful to the Christian's growth and sanctification, but it contradicts the very Word of God. It contradicts the Scriptures. To say that Christians can live just like the world and still claim they have fellowship with the God who is light is just foolish and wrong. Having fellowship with God, beloved, being saved, being born again, having God's Spirit inside of you, which is what happens if you're a Christian, right? That's what the Word of God tells us. God actually comes and dwells within His people. All of that must result in a changed life. Because as Paul said to the Christians in Ephesus, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Here's some writers that I wanted you to see their quotes. One writer says, Every true Christian, every true Christian will manifest or show in their life in some measure, in some measure, beloved, the character of his Father. What is the character of his Father? Is he a sinner? He is light. He is truth. He is pure righteousness. He is holy. Another writer says, A God of light expects lives that are permeated by such light. Permeated. Somewhat of a big word. That means every part of their life is affected, impacted by this light. Every part, beloved. Their thought life, their private life, their public life, their speech, their actions, their character, their internet activity. Every part of their life should be impacted by the light. Another writer writes this, true Christians walk in the light. That's what they do. The foundation of their walk is the fact that they have fellowship with the God who is light. Well, let's continue to look at some of these things. The facts now about walking in the light. We looked at the foundation for walking in the light. God is light and we who are Christians, truly Christians, have fellowship with God who is light. How about the facts? Here's one of them I want you to see. Walking in the light is reliable evidence of having fellowship with God. You could probably just know where I was going with this, but it is reliable evidence. Now let's look at the passage and I'll show you what I, here what I want to point out. 1 John 1.6, look back at it. John says, if we say, theoretically, if those who are professing to be Christians were to say, I have fellowship with Him, that is God, while they continue to walk in darkness. We lie. 
and do not practice the truth. Now, let me explain this verse, and then I want to consider the flip side of John's statement. That's the point I'm drawing out, and that's the point that we just read in your outline. John says that for the one who walks in darkness, that is, now listen carefully, that is a person that is habitually living in error and sin, in falsehood and unrighteousness, habitually. And they do so in thought and in deed, as an ongoing and persistent pattern of life. Lacking, listen, lacking any godly sorrow for their sin. I know people who have sorrow for their sin, but it's not godly sorrow. It's the sorrow for sin that they have when they get caught. It's the sorrow for sin that you have when you have to reap the consequences of living in sin. Like the destroyed lives and relationships that sin brings upon your life. That's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is to see sin as God sees sin. To start to loathe it. To start to hate it. To stop seeing it as something that might be good for me. So back to my point here. Those who walk in darkness, they lack any godly sorrow for their sin. And they lack any love. Any love for divine truth and righteousness. They don't love righteousness. They love sin. They don't love the truth. They love falsehood. They'll take anything over God's Word. They'll take anything. Just don't give me the truth. And for them, their claim of having fellowship with God or having true community or being in community with the people of God is a flat-out lie. That's what John is saying. It's a lie, beloved. They can say it all day long, but it's a lie. It's not true. That's what John is saying. One writer says this, Whatever there, Whenever there is a clear conflict between an individual's talk and his walk, it is always his walk and not his talk that reveals what he really is. Huh? You guys know this to be true. We know that to be true. How many times have we had people in our lives, yep, 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 about this and about that, pretending they're to be someone they're not. But as soon as they stop talking and start walking, we realize the two don't match up. Their talk always reveals what they really are. Their walk always reveals what they really are. It's easy to talk, beloved. It's a whole other thing to walk. It's easy to say, I love you, baby. It's another thing to actually love your baby. Huh? One writer says, A person who claims to be a partaker of the divine nature and yet is continually walking in sin and living in contradiction to the Bible and God's holiness, that person is a liar, John says. That's what the Word of God says, beloved. You don't like the Word of God? Okay. But I'm just here to show you what the Word of God says. John also says that they do not practice the truth, these people. They don't practice the truth. They don't live in or according to the truth. But they live in error. They live in darkness as a way of life. And they are not even receptive or responsive to God's Word. 
but regularly resist and reject divine truth. Listen, if you regularly resist and reject divine truth, you've got a problem if you want to also claim that you're a Christian. One writer says, personal fellowship with God demands that His truth be incorporated in daily conduct and character. I think that's right. It demands it. Remember, Christians have fellowship with who? God. What is God? He's light. He is truth. He is righteousness. Now comes the point I want to make. If walking in darkness as a way of life is a clear indicator that one does not actually have a relationship with God, regardless of what they may say. I have had people tell me right to my face, I know I'm a Christian and you can't tell me otherwise. Okay. Can the Word of God tell you otherwise? Would that be okay if God Himself, through His written Word, tell you otherwise? Or do you reject that too? Anyway, by way of contrast, if I know that this passage is teaching me these who walk in darkness, it's definitely an indication that they do not have fellowship with God, then by way of contrast, walking in the light, walking in the light is a reliable indicator that one does have a relationship with God who John tells us is light. Now, I want, to think, I want you to think about that for a moment right now. I want you to think about that. How does someone really know they are saved? How do they really know? How do you know if you truly have fellowship with God? Is it because when you were 12 years old or 8 or 7, you said some prayer in your Sunday school class? Is that what you're basing it on? That's how you know you're saved? Life hasn't changed. You don't walk in the light. You still walk in darkness. You resist the truth. But you know you're saved. Is that how you know? Or do you know you're saved because you grew up in a Christian home? Now you're out of the Christian home. Is that how you know you're saved? Is that the reliable evidence? Is that what you're basing it on? Beloved, people base the fact that they believe they're saved on all kinds of things that aren't in the Bible. You can't tell me I'm not saved. Okay. I can tell you you're not saved based on the Word of God if these evidences are not in your life. And beloved, this is not a judgmental thing. Don't you judge me. This is a loving thing. If someone believes themselves to be saved and they are not, would it be loving for me to let them continue in that deception while they wander off to hell? Or should I say, with all the passion I can muster up. Listen to me. You don't have fellowship with God. If these evidences are not in your life, that's what the Word of God says. Repent now and put your faith and trust in Him before it's too late. Is that more loving? Yes, it is. The other thing is not loving. The other thing just wants to avoid conflict. The other thing doesn't want to make anybody upset. But I am always willing to make someone upset for righteousness and for truth. Always! 
You should be too, beloved. Not condemning them, not standing over them, but leading them patiently and lovingly to the truth. Oh man, I got way off track, beloved. Okay. Okay, I said, how can you know for sure that you're saved? We can truly know. We can truly know, based on 1 John, based on contrasting this verse, you and I, I can truly know, you can truly know, when we see transformation in our life, transformation into the likeness of Christ, when we begin to see a life that can be characterized to some degree, not perfection, beloved, we'll talk about that in a second, but to some degree... I can see that I am walking in the life uh, of the light, a life that is marked by repentance of sin and the appearance of the righteous fruits of the Spirit of God. Do you see that in your life? Even a little, do you see it? If you have fellowship with God, beloved, you have to see it. You must see it. To be clear, we know fellowship with God does not mean a sin-free life. There has been that false teaching throughout the ages. Some would teach you could actually reach some level of perfection in this life. Sorry. Sorry, that's not going to happen. And 1 John 1, 8-10 makes that clear. We'll get to that later. We still sin, beloved. But walking in the light does mean and must mean a life that is gradually and surely being set free from sin. Huh? That's what it's about. You got me? Jesus didn't come and die on the cross to give you a big house. He came to set you free from sin. Uh. And fellowship with God will mean that to some degree, we are manifesting the righteousness of God. It is a process that will continue on until we die or the Lord comes home to get us. Or comes back to take us home, I should say more appropriately. And as we have, listen to me, this is some good stuff here. The rest of it hasn't been good, so I finally got to the good stuff, I guess. I, as we have victory... As we have victory, even small ones, over sin in our life and begin to witness a godly change in our thoughts and attitudes, in our actions, in the way we relate to one another, in the way we even relate to God. You know what happens? We are encouraged. We're encouraged as we understand these changes to be biblical evidence. Real evidence that we have fellowship with God that we are truly saved, that we possess eternal life. Beloved, it is the reality, it is the reality of a changed life, a life that walks in the light, that will bring joy and peace to our souls. Now, listen. The reason I believe Christians sometimes lack joy and peace in their life, you know why? Because they are dabbling in sin. They are dabbling in sin and they are putting off repentance. When they should be walking in the light as children 
of God. And you know what happens when that happens, beloved? Our confidence in our relationship with God is eroded. When we enter into sin, when we dabble in sin, when we play in sin, when we believe the lie that sin is good for us, our confidence in our relationship with God is eroded and our joy is diminished. That's what happens, beloved. The fact is true Christians, true Christians will become disturbed and restless in their heart and mind whenever they temporarily wander off into the darkness. That's why it's so important. I'm not saying this is always the reason we lack joy or peace in our lives, but often, beloved, it is. Think about your own life. Think about seasons of life or times in your life where you have entered into sin, where you have refused to repent. Did you have true Christian joy and peace in those moments? You couldn't! None of you are a true child of God because you have fellowship with God who is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. And God will not let you have any confidence or joy while you continue to walk forth in darkness. He won't let you. You rob yourself of the joys of Christianity, of the joys and peace that come when you walk in the light. And that brings me to the next point. Walking in the light is achievable. It is achievable as a result of fellowship with God. 1 John 1.7, just the first part of it, it says, John says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, but if we walk, implied in John's statement, but if we walk, is the simple fact that it is possible for Christians to actually walk in the light. Do you see it? But if we walk in the light, that's what John's saying. Listen, you can see it. This is the implication. If he's saying, but if we walk in the light, it means we can actually do that. We can actually walk in the light. As those who have faith in Christ Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and have been set free from the power and bondage of sin, and have become partakers of the divine nature, God's nature. That very nature being light. That does not mean we are perfect, please, or somehow become little gods as we partake of God's divine nature, but rather what it means is that God dwells within the true Christian and He empowers them to live in the light as He is in the light. To live in truth and righteousness. One writer says this regarding this phrase, as He is in the light. We are to live in the light, walk in the light, as He is in the light, as God is in the light. He says this, that phrase depicts the environment around Him, around God, that His nature creates. Light is, as it were, His home. His very home, His dwelling. It is there that we have fellowship with Him. We then must make our spiritual atmosphere similar to His, that our thoughts and conduct may reflect Him. One other writer says this, to live in the light as He is in the light, I like this, is to come into the sphere where God Himself 
is to be found, or rather, to live in the same way as God Himself. Is that shocking, beloved? What do you mean, live in the same way as God Himself? I can't do that. Yes, you can. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, Wes read it last week, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Walk in the light, in truth and righteousness. Would Paul tell us to do something that we couldn't do? No. And we can only do it because God Himself dwells within the Christian. People say it's impossible. No, it isn't. It is what is expected of those who have fellowship with God because they have been empowered by that fellowship to walk as children of light, beloved as children of God. Many times our struggle with sin is a result of not believing the truth about the implications of our relationship with God through faith in Christ. Here's the truth for Christians. We are no longer enslaved to sin. That's the truth. Now, sin tells you something else. It says, oh, you're enslaved to me. You must do what I command of you. But via the cross, Christ has broke sin's back. And it no longer holds us within its control. People say, I can't help it. It's just who I am. Not if you're a Christian. That's true if you're not a Christian. You're still in darkness. You're still lost. You're still in the pit. You're still unredeemed. You're still powerless. But if you're a Christian, you have been set free, beloved. And we have to believe what the Word of God says. That's why Romans 6, 11 through 13, this is what Paul writes. Every time, here's what I'm going to tell you, every time you hear that lie in your head that sin tells you, I've got you. You've got to do this. I want you to go to Romans 6. I want you to read it. Here's some verses from Romans 6. Paul says, so you must consider yourselves. You must reckon yourselves. You must see this is true. You are dead to sin and alive. You are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign or rule or master you in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let sin do that. Don't let your joy and your confidence be robbed. Don't let the devastation that comes with sin be a reality for your life. Don't let it do it, Christian. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death, from the pit to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. My mind, my heart, my limbs, all that I am, instruments for righteousness. God's righteousness. Not my own, beloved. I don't have any God's righteousness. Next, walking in the light brings Christians into fellowship with one another. It brings Christians into fellowship with one another. Look back at the text. 1 John 1.7 John says, But if we walk in the light, 
As He is in the light, you know what? Guess what? We have fellowship with one another. Now, some commentators believe that John, and I talked a little bit about this last week, about maybe some of the people that were in the church community that John was addressing. He believes, some commentators believe it's these people that he's addressing who insisted that they had fellowship with God but neglected their fellowship with other Christians. Did you hear me? They insisted, oh, we know God, we have fellowship with God, but they wanted nothing to do with other Christians. This unbiblical thinking still exists today 2,000 years later. People will say, and I've heard them say it, I don't need other Christians. I don't need other Christians. Listen, I don't need to be part of a church body because that's what a church is, Christians. I have a relationship with God and that's all that matters. It's just me and God. Okay. One writer says this, John is confronting spiritual elitist Christians who not only exhibited erroneous beliefs, as we talked about last week, like denying the reality of Jesus' fleshly body and things of that nature, but in their delusions they destroyed the fabric of Christian community. Here's the point. There is something seriously wrong when people claim to be Christians, claim to have fellowship with God, and at the same time don't want anything to do with other Christians. They refuse to gather together with other believers. They refuse fellowship. Beloved, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit. One writer says this, the resultant fellowship that we have with fellow believers, is the visible sign, the evidence of the correlative fellowship with God. That just means the mutual fellowship that you and I as Christians have with God. The fellowship we have with one another is a sign of the fellowship that we have with God. He who consistently has trouble maintaining fellowship with others, walking in the light, should examine his own claim of fellowship with God. Yeah. One writer adds this, If you're walking in the light, you will not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, but you will congregate and consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Oh yeah, that's right. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. That's where we find that. Finally, Last point. Walking in the light. I like this one. I like them all. That's why I put them down. But I really like this one. Walking in the light reveals a Christian's continual need to be cleansed from sin. Let's look back at the text together. 1 John 1.7 He says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And what? And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Sin. Beloved, this is a beautiful truth. Here it is. As Christians walk in the light, you know what happens? I mentioned this earlier to you. The light exposes their sin. And it makes them aware of their ongoing need to be cleansed by the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who maintains our fellowship with God by removing the barrier to it. Our sin. 
One writer says this, Our walk in the light does not produce the cleansing, but only makes us continually conscious of our deep need for cleansing. The blood of Jesus, beloved, that cleanses Christians is a reference. This blood is a reference to the sacrifice that he made on behalf of sinners on the cross when he willingly gave up his life to secure, to purchase their salvation. That sacrifice is able to cleanse the sinner, which means more than just forgiveness. It certainly means that. But as one writer says, it suggests also the removal of defilements, the elimination of some stain, so that the consequences of that condition no longer have ongoing effects. To say it this way, the blood of Jesus not only brings forgiveness, but it erases, it erases the very stain of sin in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. I like what this writer says. The cleansing leaves no telltale smudge as a witness against us. Sin screams out, Condemned! Guilty! Vile! And the blood of Jesus cleanses and removes all of that. One writer says it this way, to say that the blood of Jesus cleanses us is to say that our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. It's removed and forgiven. Its defiling effects no longer condemn us in the sight of God. Although as Christians who walk in the light, we may be conscious of sin, yet this does not prevent our fellowship with God, for God Himself removes our sin. Wow. Beloved, we don't, because of that, we don't have to fear or worry or become hesitant about walking in the light and being concerned about the fact that as we come into the light, Stuff is going to be, be revealed. Sin and yuckiness and unrighteousness and error in all of its forms is going to be exposed. But that's okay. Because we can trust in Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf to continually cleanse us from that which condemns us before a holy and righteous God and permanently preserve our fellowship with God. Wow. We have been and are and will be saved. You get that, beloved? We're not just saved sometime in the past. We have been, we are right now being, and we will be completely saved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as we walk in the light, our sin is exposed. Guess what? Our need for cleansing is revealed And you know what? Our continual dependence upon Jesus Christ is proven again and again and again and again. 
I need you every hour. I need you every minute of every day. Morning, night. I need your cleansing. Sin condemns me. You free me. You remove the very stain of sin from my life. Free me to walk into the light and expose myself to it. And let me see my sin, repent of it, and be cleansed of it. As a result of all that, you know what happens? Our love for Him grows. Depending upon Jesus, moment by moment, hour by hour, seeing Him cleanse my sin, trusting Him in these things, and my love for Him can only increase, and my motivation now to live for Him grows. But you know how it all started? By walking in the light. You know why people fall out of love with God? They're not walking in the light, beloved. They're not walking in the light. Let me wrap this up. Walking in the light is not automatic. And I'm sure I've raised some questions for you and that's okay. I do that intentionally. I want you to dive into the Word of God. I want you to get answers for yourself. I want you to be challenged. I don't mind you walking away on a Sunday going, I don't know about that. That's okay. Go find out about that. I'm not afraid. Go read the Word. Go read the Word. Yeah, do me a favor. You got any doubts about what I'm saying? Just begin to read through 1 John. It's five chapters. It'll take you about, I don't know, I shouldn't say, probably 30 minutes, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Read through it. It's one letter. Read through it. We, we're picking at it, you know, verse by verse, section by second. Read through it. You'll start to get it. You will start to get it. Read through it. Walking the light is not automatic. It, and what I mean by that, it's not going to happen without our cooperation. It's something that we have to participate in as we respond to and submit to God and His Word. If it was automatic, beloved, if it was, then Paul wouldn't have to tell Christians Walk as children of light. Right? I mean, it'd be, you know, boom! You become saved and all of a sudden you just walk in righteousness and truth and you never have any problems in your life and never any problems with sin. Ah, come on! Who is that? Nobody. So we have to, this is why we're told, walk in the light. Walk in the light. But Christians respond to the command. That's it. We respond. Non-Christians don't. They hear it, but they don't receive it. They don't accept it. They don't embrace it. And therefore, they never walk in the light. We call ourselves Christians yet refuse to walk in the light. We remain in darkness. Then we should have no confidence that we have fellowship with God. You don't have a right to it. And you're in deception. Self-deception. And beloved, if this challenged you to the place where you go, I don't even know if I'm saved. Would you talk to us? Please. We would love to talk to you about that. 
We would love to help you through that as you wrestle through the realities of the Word this morning. But beloved, if we walk in the light as Christians, if we do, not only will our lives be changed for the better as we conduct ourselves in truth and righteousness, but we will have conviction, true conviction, knowing we truly are children of God. That's what happens, beloved. That's what makes Christians incredibly strong as they walk in the light. Not a reason to stand up and go, look at me, look how great I am walking in the light. Please, you're nothing. God is everything. You should be giving God praise if you have success in your life over sin. Give Him praise. But as that happens, it builds a confidence in your fellowship with God. A confidence that you truly are born again, saved. You have eternal life. And you know what that does? In the midst of life's incredible storms that pour down on us, it allows me to stand strong. It allows me not to be crushed. What can they do to me? I have fellowship with God. And my life is a living testimony to me again and again and again of that reality. I am His. And He is mine. For I have fellowship with God who is light. And I walk in the light. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And Father, this is all I would ask, that You would help us not to turn it off, to forget it, to begin to think about other things, but for us to wrestle with it. To really wrestle with it. Father, I am... Sure, there are some here who may call themselves, identify themselves as Christians, but the truth is they are not. This is not to condemn them, Father. This is to speak to them in love that they might come out from under that deception, Father. I pray, I ask, I plead that You would reach into their hearts and their minds and convince them of the truth that they might fall upon their knees. Stop pretending Stop allowing themselves to be self-deceived, but to call upon You in Your great mercy and grace. Call upon You that You might save them through Jesus Christ, the Savior. Father, for those of us who do know the Lord, who do have fellowship with Him, may we see what we must be doing. We, as children of God, who is light, must and can walk in the light. Father, may we do that, not only for our good, but for Your glory. That not only would our mouths testify to who You are, but our very lives lived out before a messed up and lost world who are confused and on their way to hell testify to the reality of God in someone's life. It must and can and does make a difference. In Jesus' name, Amen.